You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 113 of Take a Bow. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and we have another incredible episode with you all. I'm so excited about it because I literally just finished recording it. Um, this was this was so much fun, and I'm so excited to share it with you all. Um, we have a highly requested guest, actually, on the show this week. He was one of my J.M. Barry's in Finding Neverland. We have the incredible Tony Yazbek coming on the show to talk about his 11 Broadway shows. Just unbelievable. It, it's such a wonderful episode, and it has a little bit of everything. It has, you know, stuff about the industry, really the inside scoop on the industry and what it's like as, as a business and kind of that whole thing. And then, of course, we talk about all the shows that he's been in. Not all of them because we couldn't get to all of them because he's been in so many because he's ridiculously talented. It's, like, really not fair. Um, but it's great. And, and um, he, he comes on, and we talk about all the things. We talk about Neverland. We talk about his career and all of the wonderful things. So I'm very excited to share this episode with you, and uh, I know you guys are going to enjoy it. But first, before we turn it over to that, let's talk some Broadway news, shall we? Um, I'm so excited, actually, for a lot of reasons this episode. I'm actually seeing Into the Woods tonight, which is Wednesday, July 27th. And then I'm seeing Kite Runner tonight, kind of, but tomorrow, uh, Thursday, July 28th. So when this comes out, I'll be at Kite Runner. And the night before, I was at Into the Woods. And I'm about to give you all a scoop on Into the Woods and kind of like my review um, in a bit, because I'm going to have to go see it tonight and add it to the podcast in a little bit. So that's all happening, which I'm so excited for. And speaking of Kite Runner, I just want to extend my happy opening wishes to the Kite Runner cast, which opened on Tuesday of this week, and uh, Tuesday, July 26th, so then I'll be seeing it tonight, July 28th. And speaking of Into the Woods, I know, these these two things, I've, I've got so much news about it. I'm going to see them, they've opened, and then Into the Woods has been the hot topic in the news lately. Into the Woods extended till October 16th. So, so many things are happening. I was so excited because I was about to come on here and be breaking this news, but uh, unfortunately, Broadway World and Playbill and all the things kind of got there before me. I had known about this for a little bit, and I thought this week would be the week that I would be able to announce it because the piano lesson agreed to move to the Ethel Barrymore Theater so that the show could, in fact, extend. And I will leave you with this. Unfortunately, I couldn't break this one, but I do want to go on record that I will not be shocked and um, I expect another extension past October for Into the Woods. I really do. And um, I hope I'm right. That doesn't have as much weight as this this one did, um, but because it's further away. But 
I really do think it's a possibility. So if everyone's continuing the crazy buzz that it has right now, if everyone continues to go see the show, I think it, it will have another extension past October. I mean, they announced an eight-week performance. Everyone who wants to go see the show does not have the ability to see it within that eight-week span. So I'm so happy that they are doubling the run another eight weeks from August 21st to uh, October 16th. That being said, because of the incredible cast, it's really hard to to keep a show on Broadway with the cast. But I don't think this show needs this incredible cast to stay on Broadway. Like, I think everybody just wants to go see Into the Woods, you know? And it, 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 of course, of course, it it helps that this incredible cast is put in place with Patina Miller, with Philippa Sue, with Gavin Creel, with Brian Darcy James, like with all of these incredible people that they're forever bonded with it. And now they're making that cast recording with it. So so it's there, you know? They're, they're part of the Into the Woods history books. But, you know, I think that this show is just so special that people just want to continue to stay with it and continue to tell the story and uh, i think that's what we've seen with this extension we'll keep you posted on that and stay tuned for all of that but it's great i'm so excited to see it and uh i'll have a review right after this take about actually headed over to skid row to celebrate the 400th show and 60th anniversary of little shop of horrors they hosted an incredible block party for those of you who don't know they they had like free ice cream and sticky chicken fingers and schmackeries and baked by melissa face painting raffles all the things and it was just so much fun it was great to see uh some of you listeners there and just the broadway community back together in an outdoor space you know it was a hot saturday but that's okay um but it was cool to see everyone kind of like in their street clothes and not like in you know broadway con stuff or or like broadway flea and stuff like that like it was just a casual like day at at uh Skid Row on 43rd and 9th uh, over at the Little Shop Theater. It was so cool. And it was cool to see some some Broadway people there too. And speaking of Little Shop of Horrors, I want to highlight some of the incredible, incredible achievements that's been happening for the Take About family this week. This week has been incredible for the Take About family. So I'll start off with the Little Shop announcement where Lena Hall is going to be stepping in as Audrey. And I am so excited. They are, she is stepping in as Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. She begins performances in September. So we're going to get a Rob McClure, a Christian Borrell, and a Lena Hall. Come on. You need to buy your tickets now. I'm buying my tickets now. I'm so excited for this. Lena Hall is fantastic. And I think that like her like rock punk voice kind of thing is going to be sick in Suddenly Seymour. Anyways, that's my two cents. Moving on, there's more news. Um, So I know all of you are kind of like big fans of, of, you know, Joe Serafini, Andrew Barth Feldman. Ever heard of them? Um, High School Musical, the musical, the series, season three, it dropped. There, The season three is here. We The wait is no longer. We have season three. It is now on Disney+. Plus. I'm so excited for this. Um, send your love to Joe and Andrew. So exciting. And Joe is having a solo show August 14th that I'm going to. I'm so excited for that because I get to see him again. And it's going to be so much fun. And um, what else? There is Jelani Remy 
is coming back to the Lion King. He's actually already back on the Lion King uh, on Broadway as Simba, the role he's already played before. They asked him to come back. So exciting. It seems like a short notice thing because they literally announced it the day he started performances. Um, just incredible. So happy to see him back on Broadway in that role because he's so good in that role. Last week's guest, Gabriella Pizzolo, has some exciting news with Pretty Little Liars, Original Sin, is coming out, is actually out today, July 28th on HBO Max. Super exciting. Gabby Pizzolo, check her out on the HBO Max, Pretty Little Liars, Original Sin. Fun fact, there's actually a lot of Broadway people in there. There's Ava DeMary, there's Derek Klenna, there's a ton more. There's Gabby, of course. Um, but yeah, Gabby is a part of the Take About fam, so had to shout that one out. And then, of course, I know he hasn't been on the podcast yet, but he is a part of the Take About family. Gaten Matarazzo has a new movie coming out uh, tomorrow, Friday, July 29th, called Honor Society. So, Huge, huge news coming out in the Take About family. All of them are thriving. They're all killing the game. And uh, I'm so excited for all of them. So happy for all of them. And uh, that's all the news I have for you folks this week. Uh, so with that said, I just wanted to highlight them once more. I just wanted to say it again and support all of my friends and family. All right, y'all. I just got out of Into the Woods. And to be completely honest with you, I am still processing all of it. Um, there's so many thoughts going through my head right now. And I want to start out by saying this show is absolutely amazing i had never seen the show before i had no idea about the story or what it was i didn't know what i was getting myself into um didn't fully understand the whole premise i had heard a couple songs of course because the songs and music in it are absolutely iconic um and uh yeah and i went in and i just like the first act just holds you the entire time it's incredible that cast is absolutely ridiculous patina miller as the witch was one of the best casting decisions maybe ever in musical theater history um i loved sarah Bareilles. okay i was talking to my friends afterwards that i saw the show with i was seeing with oscar williams sky Elizabeth friedman benjamin harding um and i i saw it with them and i was like guys i have to be honest with you like Sarah Bareilles being the baker's wife just made so much sense. Like, I saw Sarah Bareilles as the baker's wife, and I saw her as Jenna and waitress while she was on the stage. Like, I know it's completely different, but at the same time, it's, like, not completely different. And, like, you know, the baker's wife, she's baking, and she's, like, got the pies, and she's got the bread, and all kind of things, and then she has, like, she gets pregnant, and she has, like, a little bit of an affair, and, like, all these things you're going on, and I'm like, oh my god, this is, like, literally waitress for one character. Um, I don't know. It just, it made sense. Like, I, I was up there and I was like, oh my god, th it, that casting decision just made sense. Because it's not like Sarah Bareilles is like, I mean, Into the Woods is a classical theater musical. And it's not like Sarah Bareilles is a classical musical theater performer. You know, she, she's a pop star. And like, that's how she got her start. And now she's coming over to Broadway and she's like killing it. Like, everything. I have not seen Sarah Bareilles on stage and been disappointed. Like, she is a, she's a Broadway performer. Like, through and through so um huge shout out to them uh i saw cheyenne jackson because this is the couple weeks that he's in into the woods he was fantastic so excited that i got to see him i didn't get to see philippa sue her understudy was incredible um and yeah just the whole show was just ridiculous it the fact that you know they're doing this show uh, like a whole broadway show 
as like a staged reading blows me away. It's one of the coolest things ever. Um, and, and by stage reading, it's like, it's kind of adapted the New York city center production and kind of just did that same production, uh, just without like the scripts and stuff. So the whole orchestra is on the stage the whole time, which is fascinating because I, I can get lost, you know, watching people play instruments. Um, and especially in, in a score, like into the woods, it's, it's brilliant. Um, so that was fascinating. And then the whole show like kind of and, and the set like happened around them and they are kind of like the set. And that was really, really cool. So it, it's not like, you know, the cast had about, I'd say a quarter of the stage, no more than half of the stage to work with. Um, and it was just fascinating how they were able to make it work and how they were able to do it, um, you know, with like the giant and everything, how they made that work was super cool. I don't want to like talk about it because I don't want to give it away for, for those of you who want to go see it. Um, it was just, it was awesome. Like everything about it. And it was so creative, like the puppeteer, the one who played the cow also played like the giant. And like, it was just there were so many elements going on and so many wonderful things happening in the show. Um, there were some standout performances and some support performances that kind of surprised me. Um, I just thought the whole show was amazing. I'm so glad I got to see it to the woods. The one thing I will say about it is that I don't think the second act is necessary. Like I was completely content at intermission and then the second act started and it opened a whole new can of worms. And I was like, why? Like, why did they have to like go off and like get dark and, and, and change all these things? Like it, I wanted that happy ending, but I, I get it. Cause it's like, you know, yes, it's the fairy tales with Rapunzel, Cinderella, the prince and all of these things. Um, and, and the big bad wolf and like all these like sto story uh, bedtime story characters and all of that uh so he didn't Stephen Sondheim of course didn't want to like give that traditional happy ending ending um but I thought it was just I don't know I thought it was perfect I thought act one was perfect and then act two came out and I was like okay like I get it and I don't know I wasn't a huge fan of act two but act one was I was all for it, and I loved the show. I mean, Act 2 is still incredible. The show's wonderful. I mean, everybody knows uh, Everybody knows the show's incredible. And just with this cast, uh, yeah, sure, keep me in my seat for another hour, hour and a half so I can see them continue to perform. Wasn't mad about it at all. I was just saying that the first act is by far better and could be its own show. Um, so, yeah, that's just my two cents, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic i absolutely want to go see it again especially because i want to see philippa sue um as as cinderella and i also want to see gavin creel in it when he when he steps back into the role of the big bad wolf and uh cinderella's prince so yeah amazing stuff so happy i got to see it i think that you all should go check it out because it's one not to miss and yeah that's that's all I have for you folks right now. We do have some exciting things happening around the Into the Woods things coming out on Take a Bow. Uh, so stay tuned for that on social media. It Hopefully it will be a guest, but uh, just to clear the air right now, it's not a guest and it's more so a giveaway. And that's all I'm going to say. So follow us on Take a Bow Instagram and TikTok if you are not currently and uh, yeah, stay tuned for exciting things and go see Into the Woods because it's amazing.
that's all I have for you folks this week for the news section. And I think now is a great time to turn it over to Tony Yazbek. Tony Yazbek, curtain up. This week's guest has been highly requested for quite some time now. He is a Tony Wink Wink Award and Drama Desk nominee. Uh, he, You may have seen him in one of his casual 11 Broadway shows. Um, if you look in the Merriam-Webster dictionary for the word triple threat, this guy is actually the definition in the dictionary. Everyone, welcome to Take a Bow, Tony Yazbek. Eli, how are you, my brother? Tony, oh my God. This is crazy to me because I was one of the first Broadway shows I ever saw was On the Town. And I saw it with my grandma, uh, my Bubba, who's probably listening. So, hi, Bubba. Um, and uh, I literally, I, I would never forget leaving that show and being like, oh my God, Gaby was my man. Like, he was like the coolest person in the world. Um, and I and then you joined Finding Neverland and all the things. It was crazy. We'll get to that though. Um, I usually like to start my my episodes and asking people, you know, how they got in the industry and what inspired them to get in the industry and what wanted what made you want to tell stories. I was primarily a dancer first, so I saw Fred Astaire on TV and I was hooked to the ability to move like that, how graceful he was, how effortless it all looked, and how he told a story so simply without saying anything. Um, so I, I gravitated to that right away when I was four and wasn't really pushed by my parents. I just wanted to do it. and um, But then, you know... Like you, I was a child actor, and my first job was Gypsy as a, as a, as a kid at 11 years old. And yeah. that was my introduction to storytelling. Like, that was the first time I had a, a family around me, a, a my new family on Broadway around me, showing me the ropes, mm -hmm. how to affect an audience, how to make them cry and laugh, you know, in the same lyric. You know, so it was really fascinating to watch. And, you know, I would watch from the wings. I was... And I was glued to the musical storytelling, too. I loved how the overture of Gypsy told a story in itself. Like, I loved I loved all the different ways you could tell a story, music, singing, dance, all of it. So um, that's where I got, I got hooked to the theater with that. But dancing, strictly dancing, was in my bones since I was born. Uh, singing was more of a... From, I think it was more genetic, honestly, because I didn't. I don't think I really had a good voice until I hit college, and it, all of a sudden it just came out. But I have a long line of singers in my father's side of the family, dating back to the Titanic. Um, my uh -huh. my great great uh, uncle and my great great grandfather went down to the Titanic, and one of them yeah. was the singer on the ship, actually. So it, it dates back. My grandfather was a blues singer. My my father was a singer. He sang. He was like a wedding band singer forever. And, so um, it kind of just hit me um, a little later, like in college, but all of a sudden it was like, oh, I can sing. I was, that's good. I didn't break the lineage. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but no, I, wow. I just, um, you know, it's, it's the simple joy you give somebody. And I think that made me really excited to just keep doing it. It's like, what can you offer the world at a really young age? I think I sort of understood that in a very simple way. Right. 
I, so you would say like you were a dancer first? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, always a dancer first. I don't know if I had a style yet, but I knew I loved everybody else's style. I loved Fred's style, Gene's style. I loved Gregory Hines' style, and that was you know in my teenage years, I I started to follow Gregory Hines and 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 look at the the real tap dancers um, that started it all and try to take that and the sort of the grace that Fred and the, and the, the, you know, the charisma that Gene had and put it all together and sort of create my own style from it. I mean, that's, that's what we mm-hmm. do. We just steal things and try to make them our own. Totally. That's so interesting. Like I never realized that. Cause you know, like Neverland, it's not like it was the most dance heavy show, you know? Like, so I always viewed you as like this incredible voice who can like, put on tears in a given second you know like it's an emotional role so like to hear that you're a dancer first it's crazy to me that's so cool though. well it's interesting because I, I was a dancer first i would say when people ask me what what are you a dancer singer i mean that's i'm a you know i'm an actor i like to tell stories i like to change hearts and yeah. minds like that's what we do we we tell stories whether it be with our body or singing it's it's all breath to me it's all the same so um right. yeah neverland was it was one of those roles where i thought Oh, I'm going to have to dance a lot, you know, but then I realized, well, no, it's not that much dancing. It's a lot. Of, it's heavy lifting. I'm, I'm on the stage 99% right. of the time, but um, nothing, <laughs> nothing compared to all the town, you know, in, in that yeah. way. It was much more, it was much more dramatic. It was much more about seeing the world through a childlike, in a childlike oh, totally. way. And that was what was so beautiful about that show. You know, it's interesting, like with On the Town, I, it's one of the shows that I saw at a really young age and that I still like s- understand references from it. Mm. Like I can't live through a New York fleet week without thinking of like Gaby's coming, you know, like, yes. it just, it, it's impossible. And like, I, like, I don't know when I, when I saw shows as a young kid, I, I would just be entertained. And I totally, I didn't fully understand the story but like on the town is one of those few shows that like have really like stuck with me and i can make these connections now as an adult that i'm like oh my god yes this was in on the town look i'm so glad that you say that i mean you know broadway has shifted so much and on the town is a real pure classic from one of the all-time greats if not greatest composers for you know classical music and musical theater we've ever had Leonard Bernstein so it's it's it feels nice for a young person as you like yourself to say on the town really stuck with me because you know I mean not to say it's not a it's it's not a you know a bad thing that we're shifting into new directions that's just what the theater does we shift with the culture that we've been given totally. but it's nice to go back to how how all of this was how a music, <laughs> musical theater was encouraged in the first place and um you know, on the town, West Side Story. These are shows that are so close to my heart, and yeah. truly made an impact in my life. So when when I hear the next generation say the same thing, I I feel like I'm doing something right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And who knows, maybe it's because, like, you know, it takes place in New York and, you know, with the taxis and everything. Like, there's so many references of like living in new york and what that's like so as like an, i guess a new yorker now like i can totally relate to it you well know? and especially but, uh, for somebody who loves broadway and is excited about you know there's such a magic when you come to new york for the first time and you're you're an artist of any kind it's so incredibly magical because right. and there's a mystery behind it there's sort of a darkness behind it there's you know it's going to be tough you're going to be trudging through you're going to be competing with yourself to, to be the best you can be and who knows what door is going to be open? Who are you going to meet today? Everything is a brand right. new, exciting adventure in New York. So that, that's what was so magnificent about On the Town. The music in itself, without the words or the scenes or anything, told that story. It was, yeah. here we are in this beautiful, amazing, crazy city. What are we going to do for the next 24 <laughs> hours? What madness will ensue? And that is yeah. how New York will always be, I think, you know. It's wild. It's so cool, though. And, like, it's cool to see that, like, a story that was written that long ago can still be relatable and told in today's world. You know, it's crazy. Yep. Um, especially with how much things are changing. Um, but, yeah, so, as I mentioned, like, the songs of the show, your performance in the show, your performance was insane. It, it earned you a Tony Award nomination. It earned you a Drama Desk nomination. Like, what was that whole process like with, like, all of the award stuff going on uh kind of uh distracting in really? nice ways but also tough ways yeah because i didn't really sleep much um I, you know uh. doing that show was sort of an olympic um <laughs> her heroic sort of feeling for me mm. to do it for a full year um i was in the best shape of my life but at the same time when you do something the same way over and over and over and over your certain muscles start to give out and Eight shows a week, sure. you know, singing arias and doing 10-minute ballets every day, eight shows a week, <laughs> twice a day. And then you have to get up and then do, you know, three events for the awards, right. for, you know, for the next six weeks of your life. It was fantastic and honestly sort of a blur in a beautiful way, but it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And at that point, I was still young enough that I didn't understand how to um, – balance it all. I think I was right. just thinking, give 150% at night and give 150% during the day. And don't worry <sighs> about sleep because adrenaline will drive you. And you know, what I, what I learned pretty quick is we're all human and we got to treat right. ourselves a little better. But at that point I was like, <laughs> I didn't have anything to compare it to. This was the first time and maybe ever that I, this would happen. So I thought, you know, just enjoy it and give it everything. But it was Ooh, that was a tough time. Physically, that was, yeah. that was hard. Yeah, it, it seems like everyone says kind of the same thing of just how like, you know, adrenaline is on your side for a month and then one day it all ends and it's like, hits you like a ton of bricks, you know? Like, it's craziness. I can't imagine that whole process, but it's so cool that like, that you were in that category and in being, um, 
you know, just honored in such a beautiful way for the incredible work that you were putting on stage every night. Yeah, and I think especially to be able to honor the past song and dance man. I mean, in that category that year, it was me and Robbie Fairchild in two song and dance roles. I mean, what an incredible Mm -hmm. honor and a gift to finally have two leading men in in shows that are dance heavy, but also singing and acting. I mean, it just doesn't happen a lot. And uh, there's not enough writers writing material for guys who do it all. It's just, you know, the triple threat term is used rather loosely now. Everyone seems Mm -hmm. to be a triple threat. You know, you can if you can walk and yeah one foot in front of the other, you're a triple threat. So it's, it's <laughs> it, it was nice that they recognized that this performance in this kind of role, sh- we should notate it. Whereas, you know, right. past productions of On the Town, guys, you know, sang. And when the Dream Ballet happened, they walked off the stage and the Dream Gaby came on oh. and danced the role. And it was the first time they realized like, oh, you mean one guy can do it all. Um, so it's, it's nice that we're pushing the envelope and hopefully new generations do the same. I mean, I'm waiting for the new triple threat stars to come up. I can't, I can't wait to meet them because I want to work with them, you know, as a new director slash producer, I want to, I want to know who I want to create with again. And it'd be interesting to see who's out there, you know? Right. Absolutely. You're directing and producing and stuff now? Yeah, always creating. I've been directing things for a few years now, and um, I I love to work with artists who who are fearless and love to collaborate. I love collaboration. It's my favorite kind of thing is to work with artists who are egoless but have a million instincts and ideas. And um, Some of my mentors are Tina Landau and Bill T. Jones, and these are the guys that made me an artist. You know, it's one thing to have talent. It's another thing to be an artist. So I I think I think um, I'm in the middle of that sort of evolution in becoming, you know, a straight up director, producer. But, you know, what I've learned is you want to direct, we'll just go direct something. You want to produce, we'll just go Mm. produce something. Now you are one. And uh, that's the best advice I was given. It's as scary as it is. So that happened. I think the first thing I ever directed on my own was a big uh, concert. Uh, multidisciplinary concert in uh, oh wow in Miami at the Young Arts Foundation, um, 2016 or 2017. So it's it's been about five years of kicking around ideas, and I've got three new new things in the works for the next year. And so it's exciting. I, I love that part of my career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were just talking briefly before we like started recording that like you know I'm I'm doing. I'm trying to learn more about the business of the industry and all of that thing, all of that stuff. So it's cool to like hear you now, you know, transitioning, I guess, but like, you're still an artist. Of course, you'll always be an artist uh, to that side of the industry. Right. Right. I mean, I look, I, if I, if there was one thing I wish I would have had more of in college and I think it should be mandatory in all of the conservatories for all artists, it's business and management and how do you manage money and what does it mean to own a business? And what does it mean to produce anything that is theatrical? What does that like? It, everyone should learn this because right. it's, it's just not taught. We're, we're taught that we need to compete with each other and everyone needs to be the best singer, the best dancer, or the best actor. And that's really not necessarily what gets the work done. What gets the work done right. are amazing ideas and the understanding of how to execute them. 
you know, someone who knows how to write a script, write it, write it so well that we're aching to produce it. I mean, you know, so Mm -hmm. um, as somebody who likes to sort of do it all, I do wish I had earlier training with business and understanding how to network, understanding how to produce um, and get it all together. And I've learned sort of in life with all my mentors, Hal Prince is another person I learned so much from Uh. as a producer director. And, and I didn't know so many of these things until I was, you know, 37, 38 years old. So it, it's, right. it's nice to hear, but gosh, if I was 18, 19 again, I would love a, a class <laughs> about this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's bonkers to me that, you know, some of these conservatories and these musical theater majors, they're not doing, you know, they're literally focusing on the performing aspect and the industry is so much more than that. And, you know, we see stuff now, like not to continue to harp on it, but like the whole paradise square thing, like, how do you how do you live like that? Like as a performer, they're not going to teach you that. You don't learn those things. It's just like you're not going to get paid for the work that you're doing eight shows a week. Like it's crazy and, and it's just not talked about. And so I, I'm excited to continue to learn more about the industry and see how, you know, from a producer's ex- perspective and from a casting director's perspective and all these things, how they think and how – their uh, minds are rolling because as performers are like, oh, well, we're kind of on the side. Well, no, they have their own stuff on their plate. Just like we're not thinking about them every day, you know, like it's it's kind of it's, it's a business. So like just to learn that and really have that kind of knowledge as a performer, as I feel has helped me in the little time that I've had that experience. Yeah, it's um, true. And, sure. and I've learned even more like as, as much as, you know, the we, we talk about the business. I used to say, and I've tried to stop recently. I, I used to say, I love, you know, being an artist. I hate the business. And I think it's because mm-hmm. I didn't quite understand how it worked. And I think it's because I let it rule me. I let it. Right. Um, I became a pawn in its game rather than letting me be the business. Why don't I just create my own business for me? And I think that's the secret is um, to stop thinking of it as a transaction of I'll just work for you. I'll be a servant to the business and you'll pay me a salary. Well, why don't you create something, Tony, that is so good that everybody wants to work with it or wants to work Mm. for you or wants to just collaborate with you and create that project? Because the secret of, you know, great theater is, first of all, it's at the end of the day, it's not a moneymaker. Nobody should be in this business to make money. We're here to change people's hearts and minds. And maybe a good repercussion of that down the road, if the product is so good and so dramatically well-written that there's money to be had and, um, and for good reason. But in the end, I mean, what I've learned is um, create a good product, you know, right. Invest yourself in like invest time Invest um, as much of your creative value into this product that everybody wants to be a part of it. And they, right. they, they don't just see dollar signs. They say, I have got to get an audience to be swayed by mm-hmm. this. I want people to be affected by this. That's the first thing that we should be thinking of. And I think that's where when we, when we get a little marred by the business, it feels so commercial that it's like, well... This is just to make money. Am I, am I just going to be a pawn in their game? Um, and I think, you know, Broadway is shifting here and there with that. The pendulum is swinging. I think Broadway will right. always be, uh, you know, a tourist attraction, money 
money grab, but at the same time, it can still be an amazing product. There's no reason it can't be a tourist trap or whatever you want to call it and not, and be amazing theater. Even if it's just gleeful, happy and fun and campy, let it be really good at that. And yeah. I think that's, that's when um, you won't feel destroyed by the, the business anymore. We're just going to be part of something and, and you're excited to be a part of it because it's th- at the top of the craft. I think there are years on Broadway where th- we've had some really weak seasons especially in the last mm-hmm. 10 years, there've been a few weak seasons. And I think that's when everyone's like rolling their eyes and questioning, what am I doing? But if we, yeah. but if we spun that a little bit and just said, what am I doing to make it better? What can I do to create a new, a, a better place for Broadway instead of just mm-hmm. being the victim to it? Oh, this season stinks. Why am I a part of Broadway? Well, make it better. Find a writer, right. you write something, create something. There's, there's a way to, you know, produce a theater or a showcase anywhere for almost no money. And that's right. that's the pit that I think we've all fallen into is uh, being a victim to what we don't like, you know. Right. And I think with social media, too, that that's played a big role in in having that kind of mindset, you know, nowadays. But I want to go back because like, you saying like there's been a lot of weak season i mean there you can see there are weak, weak seasons on broadway and everything like that however like this pandemic these past two years where you know we there hasn't been broadway and there hasn't been you know that kind of entertainment that is just flowing out new and new and new it was a really hard time but at the same time within these next five years of broadway seasons we are going to see a lot of really strong art because people had the time to actually sit down and create beautiful stories and beautiful messages. And like, if that's one thing that the, that the pandemic can give us and we can all comfortably say that, like, I'm so excited for that, you know? And um, like you said, like the next wave of triple threats and everything, like everyone, all you could do is kind of work on your craft and work on something that could be, beneficial and just write and and dance and sing whatever just to entertain yourself so um i think that the next couple years on broadway and we started off with this season i mean with six and with strange loop and all of these fabulous shows just what the next wave of broadway could be and i'm so excited for that yeah me too i mean let's go the only reason i think there's been weak seasons is because we've had such amazing seasons in the past Mm-hmm. that we look at it and we go, well, this isn't as good as that. So it's easy to compare because if you think sure. about a lot of even 20 years ago, I mean, think about how many new shows and then how many revivals. And, you know, it's only it's only been recent that it's like, here's we only have like two or three revivals or we only have right. a few new shows or there's, you know, it, it's it's the variety, the wide variety on Broadway, which makes it really exciting for me to be a part of because it's like, Everyone's yeah. coming to, to New York and they can look at that TKTS board and go, look at all these brand new shows and what can I see? And it's just like the magic in, in all, everyone's eyes of like, let's see this and, and let's see something else another night. Instead of them coming and seeing the same old show they already saw. It's one thing to be nostalgic and go back to your favorite show. It's another thing to only see that show. So Right. I mean, I agree. I think uh, we're in for uh, an awakening on Broadway. Yeah. At least that's my prayer, you know. Yes, we can hope for it. Um, well, you mentioned Hal Prince uh, about, you know, he's kind of a mentor to you. And I want to talk to you because 
the first time I ever saw you after doing Neverland with you was at the stage door of Prince of Broadway. Um, and mm. just fell in love with the show. Um, I, I want to talk to you about it because it's such a unique show. And it, for those of you who don't know, it's like an ode to Hal Prince and all of the shows that he's worked on were mixed together and like it was and it was done beautifully and you have all of these shows and you're playing all of these different characters like what is that experience like for you in like a two-hour you know performance where you're going from different shows so different storylines different characters different looks all the things like what is that like look anybody who's ever worked on a Hal Prince show will tell you the same thing is that they're in love with what they're doing. And it's not necessarily just what they're doing on stage, but Hal was a genius at hiring really kind, generous, talented. Sure, they were talented, but they were selfless and collaborative and really just good people. He was really good at bringing them all together and sort of sneaking out of the room and letting it all just magically happen. Um, mm. That's why he was a genius. Um, yeah. and it, it's re- so it's all about chemistry. In the room and it was a chemistry so when when the when the cast met each other we just fell in love and he knew he would he was a genius that Mm. way so when you have a cast that loves to work with each other and you're working with hal prince and susan stroman james robert brown you're sitting there like okay pinch me i don't care what i do i'll be (laughs) you know i'll be a brick on the wall this is exciting you know i get to tell us a story one day that i worked with these people um, so it didn't really matter what I did, but, you know, at the end of the day, there were certain things in the show that I got to do that ended up becoming dreams for me from my childhood. I mean, in essence, um, long story short, I was, I was very close to booking Tony and West Side Story, the first go round. In fact, Arthur Lawrence, God rest him soul, his soul. It was, this was two revivals ago, one with Karen Oliva, one with Tony. And um, I was playing Tulsa at the time in Gypsy and Arthur single-handedly asked me after we bowed on one of the shows, he brought me onto the stage when we were at the St. James and said, I want you to be Tony in West Side Story. I'm going to try to find an 18 year old. If not, you're the guy. And it ended up being a horrible uh, ending for me because uh, he didn't find an 18 year old. He found somebody else who's a friend of mine who was, I'm sure, fantastic, but like that was it for me. And it was very, it was like a heartbreaking scenario where that was always such a dream role of mine. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so to not be able to go forward with it after the guy literally audibly in my face said, you're it, you're the part that was hard. And so, um, I remember exactly where I was. I, you know, I was in my new house. I just bought our new, our house and, and I was in, it was like eight in the morning and I knew we were going to Broadway with Prince and Broadway. And I was doing a couple things, um, doing like two or three numbers. And Hal Prince calls me at 8am and says, can you sing the Tony material from West side? And I said, oh of course I can. And he said, he's like, yeah, yeah, of course you can. Okay, good. You're going to be doing that in the show too. And I, I just remember having like a massive, like, like just started tearing from my soul, like went to my knees and started crying, like thinking like, you know, 
it's weird how things work, but like I got to sing Something's Coming and sing tonight on a Broadway stage yeah. with this amazing cast in front of Hal Prince. And I, I just thought, I'm so grateful. Like I was just so grateful to, to, you know, to do that. But then obviously to like perform one of the best numbers I had ever created with, with Susan Stroman, who's a genius doing the right girl, the way we do it, the way we created it together and collaborated with Jason doing a brand new arrangement. I mean, that number to me was killer. It was insane. It was beautiful storytelling. It wasn't tap for razzle dazzle. Every single step had a story attached to it. And I'm just, I was so proud of it. So those few things in itself, um, I mean, you know, it was remarkable. It was beautiful. I, I yeah. loved doing it. It was tough. I mean, doing that number, eight shows a week was, woo, that was tough. But man, yeah, I, I loved immersing myself into those characters. It was wild. It was the first show that I had ever seen of like a review show, you know, kind of thing. Um, and the way that it was just done was so brilliant. And the cast, like you said, like you all could tell that like you were having the time of your lives up there. And like as an audience member, it makes the show that much more enjoyable, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, we were, we all had like glasses on our foreheads, like Hal Pro. Yeah. And we got to speak words that he would speak in rehearsal. And yeah. And he would come backstage at, or even intermission. He was always there in the theater. Almost every show, he would come back in the intermission. Wow. And, and I was sharing a dressing room with Chuck Cooper and he'd grab us by the shoulders. <laughs> you too. Hey, pal. Hey, guys. Great job. Great job. And I just, and, and Chuck and I would sneak selfies with him all the time, like without looking. Yeah. We were like, what is our life? Like, that's how Prince. And we would just like laugh about it. Like, this oh. is the greatest gig ever. Like, we'll never forget this. You know, it was it was really special in that way. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have like a favorite Hal Prince show or character? I mean, Follies has grown with me so much just from doing it. I I hope someone like Stroman directs and choreographs it one day and that it, it was, you know, to be able to look, I could play either, either, the, either of those parts. Um, but doing a role like that and immersing myself and being able to do it as a singer, as a dancer, mm. um, those are, those parts are really hard to come by. It's one thing yeah. to, to dance and to create joy. It's another thing to take, everything that's melancholy and longing and sad and destroyed and heartbroken and put it into a tap step. And I think um, I, I found something really special with that. And, and to know that Michael Bennett originally, you know, wanted, um, wanted the, the role to be performed like that and to be able to finally, you know, say, here you go, sir, this is how you wanted it. Um, that was really, wow. neat, you know, yeah. So, I you bet. Know, so roles like that, for sure. I mean, there's so many, there's so many roles out there that I, I would love to do. I mean, Hal just figured it out. I mean, Sweeney Todd's a masterpiece. Oh my you god! Know? So it's like you would be an insane Sweeney Todd. Oh my god, that is a first. But yes, I'll take it. <laughs> really? Oh my god, that would be so sick. I never even thought about that, but just like hearing Sweeney Todd come out of your mouth, I'm like, whoa. Because I feel like, isn't it coming back to Broadway? I feel like it's rumored to be coming back soon. I'm sure. I mean, it will every 10 years. Oh my god. Wait. There, there are shows like that that should come back. Look, uh, there are shows like that. One of my favorite shows of all time, a James Lapine show. 
Sunday in the Park with George. I mean, oh, I, I think that show should, as an artist, it should like, just like a chorus line for dancers should, yes. for any artist, it should literally never not be on Broadway. You know, mm. there are shows like that, that should keep coming back and keep coming back and remind us why we do what we do and, and why we have to do what we do. You know? Yeah. I think it's important. Well, I want to talk. So you mentioned like chorus line. So you've done a couple shows you've done gypsy and you've done a chorus line and you've done twice and like with a few years like in between each other what is it like as like a performer because i've always thought about you know revisiting neverland and Mm -hmm. and because i was so young and like i understood the story but i look back on it now and i'm so much more like appreciative of the story and i'm like It, like it makes me cry more and like just like to like think about what actually was going on um anyways but so like now as like you gain more knowledge and you live a little more and you visit shows like gypsy as an adult and you're playing a new character and then of course a chorus line you you're kind of revisiting the show like what is all of that like is it like nostalgic is it you know you find pieces that you didn't even know were there like what what is that like for you yes and yes and yes it all it, it's all <laughs> that um with age grows a lot of um maturity but also um uh your your sort of um it's it, it's like you have an arsenal of emotions and feelings and things that you can give a character and when you get older it just deepens that arsenal gets bigger and bigger and able to carry more weight and mm-hmm. um i think especially chorus line you know I, I came back and i did a different role but i played al originally and then came back and played Zach. And I mean, I don't think I could have played Zach when I was younger and understood <laughs> it the way I absolutely get it now uh, when I did it at City Center. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, and under, look, I've always had appreciation with that show, but there are certain things about masterpieces like A Course Line that they just don't go away. There's certain, like, you know, they're like songs out there, like, for me, like, you know, like every time I hear Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now, the first two bars, I'm weeping like a baby. It's just this kind <laughs> of song it is. It will always be. It's a classic. A chorus line is is like that. You know, you start to hear what I did for love, and it becomes an anthem right. for everybody, not just a dancer or a singer and actor. It's everybody who's gone through something and tried to, you know, keep things weighted with themselves, put themselves, you know, squarely into their business, into their career. And at the same time, balance their, their love for people, their relationships and how they, they made the choices they did, all the choices they made, you know, defined this very moment and how you yeah. could have done things differently, but you can't go back now. So you just look at all of the decisions you made to get to this point and, and you did the best you could. And, that's all you can do. I mean, that you talk about being a parent. I mean, I'm a parent now. That's that's all we can do is make the best choices for our kids. It's it's all the same thing. So you know, Marvin Hamlish was a genius in that way. He figured out a a way to musically tell the story and then lyrically say something that was so universal that yes, it was coming from dancers who just loved what they did and 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 just pushed their bodies to the limit to try to get a job in the chorus. But this pertains to everybody, what we did to get to where we are and how we can never go back. 
and we just push forward because we love what we do and we love who we're with. And, um, you know, it's, it's brilliant. It's yeah. classic. Um, so yeah, it, it, those are the things that they deepen over time. They truly deepen, uh, gypsy. I think I was, I think I had something like spiritual hit me when I was a kid about the show. I think I got the show at a very, very young age only because I think when you're young, when you're really young, music hits you in a pure, yeah. in an even more pure way, I think, than it does as you get older. I think as you get older, you start to define it with words. But when you're a kid, you just define it with emotions. And so like mm. things like the overture of Gypsy, I just, right. I felt <laughs> like I was like roaming the universe in pure ecstasy. Like it, that <laughs> overture for me, like I could just sit there and like, air guitar every single instrument oh. for six minutes every night in the show. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, it was just like, oh, like I just felt like, you know, I was out of body. That's the best. Yeah. Way. And the whole, the whole score for me is that way. Yeah. Um, so as I got older, I was like, it, it deepened, but it stayed there. Mm -hmm. um, and look, I was, I was really spoiled. I was I, I was a child actor in the best show that's ever been written. I mean, I don't know, like, how spoiled can I be at that right. point? So, um, you know, and then getting to play Tulsa, that's crazy. That's just like stupid luck of like <laughs> doing your dream role when you're a kid, getting yeah. to do it. And the only part that was a down, the, the downside of doing is when, when that's over, you think to yourself, well, now what? What the hell am I supposed to do now? Because I don't have a dream job. That was my dream job. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so what happens after you get your, your dream? Right. Nobody ever talks about that. No. That's Dude, why you need it... that business school. You need that management degree when you're in college, man. You Seriously. Start organizing your life. Yeah. Dreaming right. like, a, like this Pisces always dreams. Just dream, dream, dream. Maybe I'll get there. And then what if you do? Like. What happens if you do now? What you know? It's crazy. Yeah, on to the next thing, I guess. Um, but it's crazy. I feel like listening to you and just listening to your love of overtures. I want to produce a show that just puts you on a stage and just plays a bunch of overtures, and we like watch the man in chair, the drowsy chaperone yeah. of overtures. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Totally oh my that. god. Yeah. Just, but like no, just like not even like it just plays, and we watch you just like run through the world on ecstasy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be full-on interpretive dance movement. Oh, my modern. God. Like, I, I would give that to you. Like, that yes. would be my whole childhood <laughs> with every instrument of Gypsy. Like, yes. even, like, you'll never get away from me. I could hear the, the plucking of the, the violins in the background, and I would just, like, move to them all. Like, that's why I was yeah. such a dancer. Like, I just – it was just interpretive movement to everything I was hearing, you know? Right. Yeah, we need this. We need this to happen. <laughs> um. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, so your latest thing on Broadway you did was Flying Over Sunset. And now I didn't get to see the show, unfortunately, because I really wanted to. I tried to see everything that, like, you know, cast members are in whether it's mary poppins cast members pippin neverland all the things so like when i did when this closed i was so unfortunate but i did some research about the show and i was just like the more i read about it the more i was just like in awe about the show like it was so bizarre but so fascinating um your your character you played like an actual like human being it was based off of the film legend Cary grant um how was did you have to like research him in order to like kind of find yourself in that character then of course like with the whole like the lsds and the drugs and everything like what was that like how do you step into that every night yeah strange and bizarre was is is correct i mean i actually did a lot of research on Cary grant i watched a ton of his movies uh there's some fascinating interviews where he's not solely on camera that's very fascinating to watch but um, and I read a few books on him and all of the true accounts of the fact that he did over a hundred uh, sessions with a therapist with LSD. I mean, this is all very true. The first act was pretty true to form with what he did with his um, psychologist, psychiatrist. And um, uh, yeah, I studied him a lot. And what, what I tried to do is read, 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 and then sort of drop it all and find out what is it that I can connect to? What do I assimilate with him? With. And mm. bizarrely enough, I had a lot to assimilate with him about. He was a child performer. He had a, a broken home. He he worked right away at a very young age. Um, a lot of sort of regrets and resentments, pushed things away, created a new identity for himself. I mean, to the, to the, to the point where, you know, he created his own persona and his own language, like, own dialect like no one even had a dialect like him he just created one Mm. from things that he heard because his own speech was not at all what anyone's ever heard him sound like Um, so it was it was all put on to to be somebody else because he wasn't able to face all of the trauma and the difficulties that that had happened to him as a as a child um with a a father all these things so bizarrely I had, I had some of that in my life. So I was able to really get to the root emotionally of, of where he came from. And, and also, you know, he was at a point in his career where he felt unfulfilled. He's like, okay, great. I'm a big star. I still don't feel fulfilled in my life. And I thought that was fascinating. And I think that's what James Lapine, I think that was the whole reason he put this, this together. Uh, so, you know, similar to in a sense of Sunday in the park with George and how, you know, George Surratt, does what he does and can't just set, sort of be simple-minded enough to look at it, somebody else and love somebody else. He's invested in his work and he's hiding behind his work a little bit, right? Similar right. to Cary Grant where uh, 
he was this big star and he got everything he sort of hoped to get with this persona and yet ha- really didn't have any true happiness. And then that's why the LSD started to happen. And what did that, what was that going to do for him? And by the end of the show, I think the whole point of playing over sunset were these simple connections is that how do we fully stay present in the moment with somebody else and how can that drastically improve our happiness and joy in life? And, you know, instead of searching for something miraculous and life-changing to happen to us, perhaps in the simple joys is, is the answer to, to life's meaning, you know? And, and I, I, the reason why I was so content in wanting to do the show and really wanted to go after, obviously, was the team and working with Lincoln Center Theater. But yeah. that message of simple connection coming out of a pandemic to me was... Um, kind of a big deal uh, right. coming out of this darkness, this isolation and being able to once again be on a stage even and just look at people in the audience and see them and realize like, hi, this is, this is life. We are meant to connect with each other. We're meant to help each other. It's, right. it's, it's not natural for us not to, you know, it's, it's unnatural not to. So um, that was the, the part of it that it was exciting to me. And uh, you know, this sort of, ever flowing theme of simple. I love the word simple. It's, yeah. um, it's something that Albert Einstein used to use a lot. He used to talk about simple and, and how simple was, was godly and how, oh. you know, his own spirituality, Albert Einstein had an interesting spirituality about him, but it was a very similar thing that I found in flying over sunset, which was through all the chaos and the complex nature of us trying to find something that gave us deep meaning what was simple and pure under our noses was really the most profound. And Hmm. I I love that part of it. Um, I think that's what the show is about. Yeah. You know, believe it or not, because I read the reviews and everything, but like everyone I talked to really loved the show. Like it, it seemed like it was one of those shows that just like couldn't get the people in, you know, like to see the show, like they didn't know how to, kind of convey the message that they were trying to that they were beautifully portraying in well it it doesn't help that you're in the middle of the worst part of the of a pandemic in a hundred years you're literally smack dab into two weeks into omicron which was literally pushed every single person out of the theater i mean we had subscribers at the center theater who just didn't show up and wouldn't show up so it was it was a desert out there and everyone was afraid to go to the theater Anywhere. Yeah. And when you're opening a show in the middle of that, it's just the worst timing possible. Craziness. Um, you know, and truth be told, I mean, we were a brand new original show. A yeah. really original show that needed to spread word of mouth, which means we had to get butts in the seats. So if we couldn't do that, we were kind of dying off. And uh, and at the same time, we were a polarizing show because it takes the, uh, the kind of person that would appreciate highly this this kind of show is somebody who is ready to feel, who is open, mm. who is open to interpretation, who is open to exploring something that possibly they have to confront for themselves, within themselves. And I have to say, not everybody's ready to do that. A lot of people want to go to the theater and want to judge and see if this is good enough for them. And that's not necessarily <laughs> great art. It's, it's entertainment, but I think real art happens when somebody can be open to interpreting it in a fresh, yeah. uh, you know, new way. And I, I think our show was a lot for people to handle probably right after a pandemic, because Absolutely. I think everyone was just like, please just let me laugh. Please let me just smile. And, 
I think I think the people who got it really got it. I think the people that mm-hmm. didn't, that's okay because uh, you know. But and James Lapine would tell you the same thing. You know, all of his works are pretty polarizing. They either love it or they hate it. He always, yeah. And and you know what? He was pr- he's sort of proud of that in ways because I think it means that he's sticking to his own path as an artist and totally. uh, his integrity is upheld. He's not yeah. swaying to everyone's needs. He's just trying to tell his story, and I think that's really important. I love that. Yeah, for sure. It's cool that like for the writers to like allow you allow themselves to be like open and vulnerable about themselves to like present that on the stage. Like I've always wanted to like write out my emotions and thoughts, but I've never known how to like do it. So I always like applaud those kind of writers that are just like this is kind of like what I'm thinking and this is what I'm putting out there and like you either love it or hate it. Like that to me is like that's an artist, you know, like that. Well, and James is a visual artist too. He was, he was always right. a visual artist before he was a writer and a director. So if you think about what he did with photography or something like a painting or something like that, he would put it out there and he'd go, I don't know. I created this. It came out of me. It's authentic. Whether yeah. you like it or not is, is another thing, but it yeah. is authentically what came out of me. And I tried to instinctually not stop that flow. And that to I me is that. true artistry. Right. Um, whether it wins people's hearts and minds or not, it's still art, you know. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're all just trying to tell a story. And, <laughs> you know, like that's all. Um, I love that. Well, before I let you go, we have to talk about Neverland really quickly. Sure. Um, you just have so many credits that like we're not even getting to. Uh, but it's great. This is fantastic. Uh, I want to talk to you because you joined the show, you know, like you came in after the show was kind of open, similar to me. And honestly, like watching you come into the show, I had been in the show for about longer than six months when you came in. And you came in and allowed me to kind of reevaluate my show, uh, which was fascinating because I, I saw you come in and I saw you replace the person, Matthew Morrison, who was playing right. Dan Barry before. Right. Um, and you kind of just came in and made it your own. And for me, when I came in, like I came in uh, three weeks after the show opened and, you know, I felt like I had to be this carbon copy, this blue, like this stepping in and I'm the same person and nothing happened. Uh, but seeing you come in and kind of just take the, take the show. I mean, you're, you are the show um, and, and watch you kind of work and, and make it your own and make it you was so beautiful and it literally I would just go home at night and I was like this Tony Yazbek like he is making this thing his own and I feel like I never got the opportunity to do that with this show and I feel right. like for the rest of my run it kind of changed that so to, just talk to me about your experience with Neverland and coming in at, at, at that time and everything well it's interesting you say that because it you you it grounded me to be able to do that because first of all with the elephant in the room Harvey Weinstein I mean it's like right you look at the fact that when you know probably when you were hired too but when i was hired it was all his push he was basically mm-hmm. manipulating the equation of i'm uh you're going to work for me tony because i think you're perfect for this and i'm going to give you a million tv shows which were you know <laughs> bs empty promises but it's harvey right. weinstein and he was the most powerful man in the universe before ev- right before everything went down so you kind mm-hmm. of just didn't say no to this guy it was really hard to do so so, right. uh, you know, I, I went along with all of this and it was right after the Tonys wrapped around the town and, and it felt like, OK, I guess this is the next step, even though at the time, I mean, would I do things differently now? Maybe. 
but you know, you can't look back and regret. So mm-hmm. when I saw the show, I was really surprised because before I said yes, I said, I want to go and look at it and check it out. And um, I looked at the show, which obviously had, we, you know, the show had terrible reviews. It got panned, yeah. any nominations. So I was like, okay, what am I going to get myself into? And I look at it and I go, are you like this? The script itself was, in my opinion, pretty damn profound. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, we are we are totally undervaluing this show as a play. And I realized that this show actually was a play with music. It really, me, and I looked at it that way. Whether you want to say it's a musical, sure, it's a musical. But if you took the music, the singing and dancing away and just did the show as a script, as a play, it really works. It's emotionally weighted. There's a reason to do it. And I was able to decipher all that and take it out and not not listen to our leading the leading man that was up there at the time, but really listen to the words. And and I went, oh, my God, there's something to be said here. And I think I have an interpretation that not just will make it my own. So it's like everyone knows it's my own. But like, how do I give this show its due, give the story its due? Because there's something that is profound by the end of the show with the kids, with talking about mortality, it's beautiful. And so that's when I fell in love. Because by the end of the show, I turned to my friend who came with me and I was like, "Um, there is something here, isn't there? And he's like, Mm. absolutely. We were both kind of in tears. So I just, uh, you know, and I never worked with Diane Paulus until the very end. She never saw me work. It was like, I got thrown into the show. I had six days of rehearsal. And yeah, it was great. I was directing something down in Miami at the time. And I said, I'm not going to leave this. So I told him, I will, I will memorize the entire script before I start rehearsals, which is what I did. Memorized mm-hmm. everything before I walked in that first day of six rehearsals. And I was working with Kelsey Grammer. And, you know, I was working with, oh, I remember who I was working with. And um, <laughs> got thrown into the show, but I was able to do things a certain way. And, you know, there were other people on the stage that didn't want me to do that. But I was sticking to my guns because I thought, I'm not going to just be a replacement. I'm going to try to give this show its due because I don't think it's quite, I don't think we've sucked the marrow out of this play yet. Um, Wow. And so, um, but I was able to uh, find some stuff in it and I was really excited by that. And I think, I think when you ground yourself in things and, and you're able to really say lines to us, to another actor on the stage, and not have to rush it because of timing and not have to just really simply be the other actors can be, you know, yeah. everybody, everybody else morphs around you and goes, Oh, this is real. We, we can just talk to each other. Right. And that's what started to happen. Probably with you is like, we started to like find the show again. That was yeah. like a musical and now it was a play. And I think that was the difference, you know? Yeah, it, it was it was brilliant, like the way that you came in and kind of because all of a sudden I remember all of this now that you're saying this, this whole six day thing, because we were like, they waited forever to announce it. We were like, he's leaving in, in like a couple of weeks. Like, he, we don't have anybody in rehearsals yet. Like, fine, we don't have to get out of school and everything. But I was like, no, I want to get out of school, like to go rehearse and all the things. Uh, but it was so like crazy that whole time period. And then your first show, like, I'll never forget, like. It was the put in the day that I think the day of, or it could have been, I don't know, but it was like, everything was happening so quickly and it felt like, you know, oh my God, like, what is the show going to be? 
Like it was totally, I'll never forget your first show because I actually had to talk to my Wrangler, the Caroline, and, and was like, what is happening now? Like what's happening today? Like I feel, I've never felt like unprepared for a show, but there was something about it. And, and then like, I just went out with there with you and you're right. Like I could just be like, we started the show and it was as if nothing changed, but everything changed at once. And it was like, it was like we were shaking each other alive. I remember going out there with you kids and being able to like, even with you, I remember, I remember watching in rehearsal a little bit, just seeing like how sometimes, because you know, what did you know? You were a kid, you would do things similarly in the same way with the same inflection every single time. Mm -hmm. And like, like it didn't matter what was spoken to you. You just spoke back. And I thought, I'm going to shake this kid up. We're going to talk on that. Yes. And you were, you looked me in the eyes and you would like, we would just give each other joy and give each other energy and push each other around. And that's what made that show, I think, start to come alive. And the script started to like come off the page because we were able to like, you know, it was a new moment, every show, brand new. Um, And that, 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 that part was real. It's always exciting in theater. That's the best theater, you know? It's so crazy, like to that. I'm glad that you kind of remember that, or, or you know, can kind of verbalize that because I didn't know. Like literally, I look back on it and I'm like, when Tony came to the show, it was a new world, and I found a new show for myself. I found myself in the show, and I wasn't doing, you know, Aiden who was there before me. Like you know, right. I was doing my version of the show, and you somehow you're just so good got that out of me and i forever grateful for that seriously because then when you left you know like i felt like i could still there was still more to explore with a new person you know with alfie even though he was like there for a couple weeks um you know but he was cool yeah so um but yeah crazy and then one more story that i have and then i'll let you go um i a part of that unpreparedness came from nerves because when I auditioned for the show and they said that Matthew Morrison was in the show, I had no idea who Matthew Morrison was. My brother and sister are a huge fan of Glee. Yeah. And I never seen Glee a day in my life. So I'm going into audition and they're like, oh my God, like you're auditioning for like a show with Matthew Morrison and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like who cares? So then he leaves and they announce that you're in the show. And I was going bonkers in my house i was running around the house i was like you're not gonna believe this guy he is so unbelievable like i the the whole circle kind of turned and i was the one fangirling and i was like this guy was in on the town he was tony award nomination and 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 he was just gave the best performance i've ever seen on like stage and i was so excited and and that day like that first performance with you i was so nervous like more nervous <laughs> than i was for my like first show in the show uh it's crazy but uh yeah i'll never forget that and i just felt like i needed to tell you that because i was so such cool a man you in town yeah, yeah yeah so i was so excited to to get have the chance to work with you Oh man, that's so funny. Well, you know, nerves, all the nerves are is just another uh, reason to, to know that you love what you do. That's all nerves, yeah. man. That's why it's Absolutely. good to have, that's why good to be nervous. People ask me all the time, like, how do I get rid of nerves? Like when I'm on stage and I'm like, don't, don't do it. Cause if you, <laughs> if you don't have nerves, that means you probably stop loving it, man. You know, it's right. like, nerves are good. Just kind of embrace it when you embrace them, they go away anyway. Oh, that's so yeah, cool. Is. That, that is that is awesome. I love that. Oh my God. You, you were like 
my like star for like for a long time and i was like oh my god this guy is about to be in finding neverland and i'm and here we are you like you're now you're an old yeah. man like me i know we're chatting <laughs> and it's we're in a pandemic and we're talking yeah. about this this talking uh, platform and oh my Whatever. gosh what is happening yeah. where did the time i know what a world and it's cool to just be like you know like he's a he's human and he's a performer and he's we're just trying to do the same thing and make people feel something so it's just so cool to have those types of experiences so i appreciate you uh for just coming in and kind of just changing my whole perspective on performances in general like it didn't just help me with finding neverland it just like helped me in the industry as a whole so i appreciate that and i appreciate you coming on here today and and giving me your time and and reconnecting and kind of chatting again it's been so wonderful and i'm so thankful my pleasure pal and best of luck to you coming up oh my god thank you so much take a bow tony yazbek come on he is i i mean i don't even know what to say after that the whole interview was so so lovely i i was so great to reconnect with him and talk to him about neverland and being able to talk to him about the industry a little bit and kind of hear more about him because as i said like i don't know if i actually said this on the podcast or not but in being in the industry as a kid and i mean i'm still a kid and I'm, but I'm still learning, but to have more knowledge, to have the knowledge that I have now and to understand it a little bit more in the way that I do now um, and to see how cool the people that I was working with were like to just be able to reflect on all these things and have the opportunity to, to reconnect with them and talk to them again has just been so um, fulfilling for me, I think is, is a bit the best way I can put it. And this was a perfect reminder of that tony asbeck was literally one of my like idols at the time when i saw on the town and i said it so the fact that you know he came on here today to talk with me again about you know our experience in neverland and to talk to him and pick his mind a little bit about the industry and about you know his career just even like the fun things that he talked about in flying over sunset and the way that he described chorus line and gypsy and all these things like it wasn't even like the answers to my question. It was just like the things that he was offering to put out there and to tell me. It really meant a lot. So I appreciate Tony for coming on here today. And I hope that you all enjoyed this episode and, um, you know, kind of learned something today because there's so many good things to take away from this, not only from a performer's perspective, not only from a dancer's perspective, but just as like, an artist, you know, or even as like a human, like as a fan, I don't want to ramble too much, but I want to say thank you all for listening to this week's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did because I had a wonderful time. Stay tuned for next week for the Kite Runner review because I'm really excited to see it. I'm seeing it probably as you listen to it on Thursday, July 28th. Very excited. And yeah, so everyone continue to stay safe, continue to be kind, and I'll see you all next week. Bye everyone. Have a great week. For this episode's curtain call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Brittany Bigelow, Katie Rosen, Alan Seals, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow is Tessie Tokash, who edits the audio and all the visuals for this podcast. A special thanks to patrons Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners at PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com slash TAB. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe on the platform that you're currently listening to this on. Also, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at Podcast. 
Take a Bow's logo is designed by Giselle Bustos, and the music is by Nikki Torsha and Cormac Collinon. Bye, everyone. Hope to see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.